All right, well, good afternoon, everybody, and welcome to The Well. Uh, if you're joining us for the first time today, my name is Alex, Nich- Alex Nichols, and I'm one of the elders here alongside uh, Pastor Jonathan and Pastor Al. And so today we're actually going to continue week two of our summer sessions, and then next week, for the next two weeks, actually, Pastor Jonathan's going to step in and finish out uh, summer sessions for us. So be sure to come back and, and join us for those, those next two weeks. But this afternoon, our sermon text is going to be Philippians 4, and we're going to specifically be looking at verses 4 to 8. And so if you need a Bible, go ahead and raise your hand. One of our ushers will give you one. If you don't have one, this is our gift for you. You can take that home. Um, but as I said, uh, we're going to be looking at uh, Philippians 4, verses 4 to 8. So I'm going to go ahead and read our text for us in its entirety, and then we'll kind of go from there. But here we go. Verse 4 says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Verse 8, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these Things And so today, similar to last Sunday, I want to start by just asking us a few questions that we're going to answer uh, as we navigate our text today. And so they'll be on the screen for you as we go. If you can answer them uh, right now, it's great, but we're going to be hitting them along the way uh, as we make our way through the text. And so first question that you see there is, what are we encouraged to do? Who do we rejoice in and when are we told to do it? What are we encouraged to do? Who do we rejoice in? And when are we told to do it? The second one, how does Paul instruct us to respond in light of our anxiety and why? How does Paul instruct us here in our text to respond in light of our anxiety and why? And then last is what does Paul tell us to think about and how does that help us make war on our anxiety? Okay, what does Paul tell us to think about and how does that help us to make war on our anxiety? And so let's start. Verse four says, right, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. And so for us, I want us to know that as Paul is is writing this, he's writing from personal experiences that he's had with hardship and persecution. And he's writing to the, the Philippians that are experiencing similar things. Paul knows what it's like to go through trial. He's familiar, very familiar with persecution and the temptation to be filled with and consumed with anxiety. All right, if you don't know, Paul's been, he's been thrown into jail. He's been mocked. He's been beat. He's been spit on. Just to name a couple of his trials. But the Philippians were facing persecution and opposition. And as a result, we're also dealing with a great amount of anxiety as well. And so, Paul has this knowledge personally, but then he knows how they're doing. And he knows how God has sustained him personally in high stress, anxious moments. And he wants to admonish and he wants to encourage and remind the church in Philippi 
what to think about, what to do, who to rejoice in, and then when to do that. And so Paul begins by saying, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. And so this is the first part of our questions, right? What are we told to do? Simple. Paul says rejoice. Rejoice. Remember, though, like the words that are coming from this part, from Paul, they're not coming from somebody who's unfamiliar with the circumstances maybe you guys find yourself in or we find ourselves in today or the church that he was writing to. He's not, they're not from somebody who's unfamiliar with stress and anxiety. And he's writing to the church that is experiencing similar things. And his response is rejoice. Rejoice. Rejoice in the midst of the hardship. Rejoice as you wrestle with and experience anxiety. Rejoice as you're fe- feeling fear and doubt rise up. Rejoice. Now, naturally, if you're thinking, okay, I got it, I hear you, this, but this doesn't make sense. Like, it's not, it's not that easy, right? How am I to rejoice in moments where even thinking about a specific thing or a topic that I'm, that I'm in, it sends me to a spiral. How am I to rejoice in that? And rejoice in what? How am I to rejoice when I'm unsure about making ends meet or having enough food, having formula for my children, how to, or to have a job that's going to be legitimately sustainable, right? That's, that's fair. That's, that is fair. And, and if you're thinking something along those lines, I just want to say you're in good company. You are which is why the object and the cause for our rejoicing matters so much. And so that brings us to the who here in our text. Who are we to rejoice in? Paul says, rejoice in the Lord. We rejoice in the Lord in the midst of all of everything going on. Why do we rejoice in the Lord? Because Jesus is our rock, right? He's the only thing that is worthy of our trust and our full dependence. Or as we'll see later in the text is is that the Lord is at hand is what we see. And so Paul tells us rejoice in the Lord because he knows, he's experienced that the only thing that will keep him grounded in the chaos, keep him grounded in the anxiety, in the fear is Jesus When we rejoice in the Lord, the storm of life can be raging around us. Absolute chaos, and yet we have peace in our hearts and minds because our eyes are fixed on Jesus. We're rejoicing in the Lord. And so we rejoice in the Lord. We fix our eyes on Jesus and nothing else, right? That's what Paul is saying here. And so Jesus is the only thing in all of our circumstances we find ourselves in today that is reliable, that is trustworthy, and that is worthy of our mind's attention and our heart's affections. Jesus is the only thing that is truly secure. He delivers on all of his promises to us. So why rejoice? Because if Jesus has delivered you from the wrath of God that you should have received and God provided then in your place for you greatly by sacrificing his son Jesus for you, we should definitely, and we definitely do have a great cause to rejoice. But it's about the why that we are told to rejoice. It's Jesus. 
and everything. It's Jesus. We rejoice because Jesus has done what he promised for us. And so we rejoice because he is our present hope right now with what you're experiencing. But he's also, therefore, our future hope as well. Jesus is our present hope and our future hope. So what are we told to do? Rejoice. Who do we rejoice in? We rejoice in the Lord. And then when are we told to do it? Is the next part here. Paul says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always. We should always be rejoicing. In light of what we've what I've already said and we've already heard and we know, rejoice in the Lord always. In all circumstances, in all seasons, when hardship comes, when somebody mocks you, no matter the, the circumstance, the, the point we see here is to rejoice, right? But again, I, I want to I acknowledge that as good and true as we believe this is, it, if we're being honest, it really does right, feel so unrealistic often for us in the moment. When we're in the moment and we remember we're supposed to rejoice, there feels like there's a huge, a huge disconnect. Meaning we understand, right, we understand with our minds what it means and what, what it says, but it feels so far from being applied and lived and experienced in, in, out in the moments that we're thinking of. Have, have you ever done that or experienced that before with God's word? If you are, I'm, I'm with you, church. I've been there personally. I understand that to rejoice in all things, it does feel difficult. But here's the truth. In the chaos of life, whether we're thinking uh, small things or big things, when we're actively looking for and being intentional, intentional about rejoicing, don't be surprised when you experience the peace that surpasses your understanding and that we're promised and we see later on in the text. Right? I know that, that often there's this, there's this lie and it's very subtle. This thing, we, this thing we do where we say, I'll rejoice when life is better. I'll rejoice when, I'm, when things are easier. I'll rejoice when I'm comfortable. Or I'll rejoice when I feel, feel like there's a good reason to do it personally. And I, I just want to warn us, that's not what our text says. That's not what we see here in Philippians and if that's, if that's your posture, that's okay. Let's acknowledge that. But it's very likely that your rejoicing depends on your life. Your rejoicing depends on your circumstances. And you have your own qualifiers, whether you've written them down or you, or you go to them regularly, that will cause you to rejoice. But they're your qualifiers. And therefore, you might, it makes sense, spend very little time rejoicing. And that's the reason again, that's the reason why we why who we rejoice in matters so much. We'll see today that not only do we have a great reason to rejoice, but a way in which to to process and deal with the hardship and the anxiety we find ourselves in. And spoiler, if you've read ahead or you know the text, it has to do with running to Jesus in prayer. It's not, they're not our own methods. It's what Jesus calls us to do. And so just as you would rejoice in the Lord always, that, that too happens in a posture of prayer as well. And so 
Paul writes to the church in Philippi and he says, Rejoice in the Lord always because it is not our circumstances. It is not our preferences. It is not what we think that dictates our joy and our rejoicing. Right? It is God. God is the reason for our rejoicing and continual rejoicing church. God is the one our rejoicing is dependent on, not our circumstances or any other qualifiers. God is the one our rejoicing is dependent on and not our circumstances. So if we depend on God in order to rejoice, we actually have every reason to rejoice then. Think about how God has rescued you. Think about how he has redeemed you. Do you see that the command then to rejoice is actually not unrealistic? God has given us a great reason and a great cause to rejoice. And in fact, if all that God did was let you continue to breathe right now and live, this alone is cause for us to rejoice. Like the fact that we all are continuing to take another breath is cause to be glad and thankful and to rejoice. And so again, what are we encouraged to do, church? It says rejoice. Who do we rejoice in? The Lord. And when are we told to do it? Always. And the reality is, is, is how we endure and how we respond and, and react to the trials and the hardship that we're in will display and give a testimony to those around us, right? How we respond and endure and react to trials around us and the hardship we're in will display and give a testimony to the people around us. And so let's keep going. The second question I asked us at the beginning was, how does Paul instruct us to respond in light of our anxiety and why? How does Paul instruct us to respond in light of our anxiety and why? So verses five through seven, Paul says, let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. And so again, church, the, this isn't peacetime for the church in, in Philippi. This church is experiencing hardship. They're, they're experiencing uh, persecution. They, there's plenty of anxiety going on. And my question for us, I, I, it, and it may go without saying, but is anybody feeling that way or have recently even, maybe this week, felt a little bit anxious? Maybe perhaps about finding a job that's going to provide for your family or finding a home in the housing market, which is a little wild right now. And then what about having enough money as the cost of living just seems to keep going up? Or because we live in, you know, it's hot everywhere, but really hot in Texas, paying a, an AC bill that's triple just to stay barely sweaty in your home, Right? Anybody anxious about having enough? Just having enough, right? Paul responds, we saw already. First, rejoice in the Lord always. And then second, he continues and he says in verse five, let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. And so 
Paul says, let your reasonableness be known to everyone because what he's trying to do is, he, or I want us to see that, I understand that, or he wants us to see that when we actually obey what we're commanded to do, we will experience the fruit of that. That fruit being what we see here, letting our reasonableness be known to everyone. And so the reasonableness which we live out is, is again, it's rooted in and it's grounded in the Lord. It's grounded in Jesus. What this means is that in all circumstances, we have sound heart and mind because we are rooted in, we are focused on and rejoicing in Jesus. So if we, maybe if we consider the, uh, the inverse here of, of, of what it means to be reasonable or reasonableness, it may click a little bit more for us, is typically when we are under a lot of pressure, when we're really stressed out, when we're really anxious, we tend to often, or I know at least I tend towards making decisions or, or drawing conclusions that make just no sense at all. Decisions and conclusions that are not reasonable, that are not realistic, or are not rational either. So quick example, um, when I was in college, I lived with a handful of guys in, in a house and we, we all paid rent, it was really cheap. But one day, one of the roommates came to us, sat us down, was like, hey guys, like rent's going up. And this was years ago, so the, the market was a little bit better. But he's like, I was like, how much? He's like, $10. I was like, okay, I wonder how much it's gonna cost for me to get a U-Haul so I can move back in with my mom. Like that was, that was it. That was my immediate thought. Not reasonable, right? And I can tell you that the, the response in the moment were not dictated. They were not formed by the fact that Jesus was alive and ruling and reigning. I wasn't trusting in God's provision. I was thinking about things that were not true, drawing false conclusions. And the fact that the Lord is at hand, not even a thought. And we'll talk about that more in a minute. But the point is, is that Paul instructs us to rejoice in the Lord always and let our reasonableness be known to everyone for the Lord is at hand in the midst of the anxiety. This, isn't, he's, this, this encouragement is not when things are easy. Should you rejoice at all times? Absolutely. But this is in the midst of what's going on. Here is the word we're hearing. Because the Lord is with us and our God will guard our hearts and our minds. It's what we'll see that it says here. And so Paul is pointing to the reality that Christians should be daily, be regularly reminded daily that the Lord will judge our actions and our deeds, but also that he knows our hearts, intentions, and what's going on there too. As we respond, either externally or internally. And so to say, as he says, the Lord is at hand is not, he's not saying uh, that God is returning right this very moment. Although that would be nice, Paul is giving us the reminder that Jesus is near and he's with us. Jesus is near and with us in the circumstance. And again, this reality should dictate, it should form the attitudes of our hearts and our minds and therefore our decisions and our actions going forward. The reality that the Lord is at hand should dictate and form how we think and what we feel. The re, again, just one more time, that the, the reality that the Lord is at hand, it should dictate and form how we feel, what we think. And so the question is, how does Paul instruct us to respond in light of our anxiety and why? 
First, again, let your reasonableness or let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Next, Paul instructs us further on the same. He continues to make the same argument, verses six to seven. He says, "Do not be anxious about anything." But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Verse 7, And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And so we're told, do not be anxious, but instead pray and thank God as you let him know what it is that you need. This is, I want us to see this. This is literally what our big brother, what Jesus did in our place perfectly. And yet he did it without sin. In Matthew uh, 26 to 36, 26, chapter 26, verses 36 to 46, it's not on the screen. But we see that Jesus was experiencing a great time of sorrow and distress as he considered and knew that he was to die in our place on the cross, Right? And what does Jesus do in this chapter? And go look at Matthew 26, 36 to 46. You'll see what he does. But he prays in light of the sorrow and the distress. He's feeling. It says that he fell on his face and praying, saying, My Father, if it be possible, let this, this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Many scholars would also say, looking at this text, that in this moment that Jesus is facing is actually the most severe temptation of his life, and yet we know he does not disbelieve, he does not sin. And so Jesus does what we cannot do. He experiences the sorrow and he's troubled, as the text says, and yet he does not lose hope, he does not lose faith in God the Father, and he actually goes to God the Father out an abundance of perfect faith. And so, the, and so we see the difference between us and Jesus here, right? We, we, so we do not just conclude silly things like I did about moving out, right? But we disbelieve that God will provide for us. We doubt that the creator and the sustainer of everything, God the Father does not know what he's doing or maybe he's not doing it right. Jesus does not do this. This is not what happens. We think about and we conclude things that are not true, and Jesus does not. Jesus, being fully, fully man, fully God, does not fall into sin, and Jesus goes to God the Father in faith, he, faith and he falls on his face in prayer, and what does he do? He asks, and he makes a request. He submits the final will, though, and outcome to God the Father. But he does approach him with his with what's going on. So Jesus models what we are to do in the midst of our anxiety. That's what I want us to see. We're to fix our eyes on God the Father. It's where we should take our requests, our needs, our anxiety. And I want us to see that as we're met with anxiety, we are tempted to believe things that are not true. And God desires that we would seek him in prayer as we're met with those anxieties. And so 
God's aim, we need to see this, we saw it last week, we'll see it again today, is that he's aiming to use all of life's circumstances to refine and to grow us in the image of Jesus. That means that we would run to him with those things. But what we often do is, because anxiety grips us, and we like to try to control things, in our circumstances and manage, like manage our anxiety and cope with our anxiety, then, and then what we like to do is on the back end go, God, I need you to bless this. I, know, I got a plan now. I need you to bless it. And then prayer, unfortunately, is all too often, it's, it's not the first thing that we tend to do in light of what we're experiencing, in light of the anxiety. But that's, we see again, that's not what Paul is telling us here in verses six to seven. But that is, that's the question, right? How does he instruct us to respond in light of our anxiety and why? He tells us, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses your all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. That's the instruction. Don't be anxious. Pray in everything, in all circumstances, pray. And then the word supplication simply just means to ask. Ask. He's a good father. What is it that you need? What is it you're anxious about? Pray. What are you worried about? Pray. What do you, what do you not understand? What are you confused about? What do you need wisdom on? Pray. Let your requests be made known to God. That means that before we go and tell your friends and you post it on your TikTok and Facebook, before we do any of those things, we go to God and we tell God, this is what's going on. This is what I need. Help me, Father. And what we should hope, what we should aim for is that we should make talking to God a regular rhythm, not just when I feel the anxiety, but knowing that there are things to come. There are, there are hard seasons to come. So we make talking to God today, tomorrow, now, a regular rhythm. As soon as you feel anxious, as soon as you're stressed, that's then gonna be what's gonna come out of you. You're gonna run to God the Father in those moments. And so notice though, church, the way that Paul, he, what we see here in the text, the way that Paul writes this, he, yes, he says, but in everything by prayer and supplication, Go to him, ask him, but he also says what? With thanksgiving. With thanksgiving. And so when we pray and when we ask God the Father what we should be doing confidently is knowing that God hears us, he hears our prayers, and then answers them perfectly, therefore creating thanksgiving in our hearts as we are communicating with him. So we pray and we ask God would grant us wisdom and make it abundantly clear which job that we need to take. And then at the same time, as we're asking, and we know God hears us, he's going to answer, he's going to do it perfectly. We therefore go, thank you, God. Thank you, Father. Thank you. Let me ask it this way. If, if somebody you knew, if you asked somebody for a million dollars, knowing that they would give it to you, if only you asked, how would you approach them? 
you'd be like, you'd be so, you'd be super excited. Like all you do is ask, just ask. I know, I know I would be excited for a million dollars. You'd be asking so fast, thanking them, hugging them, picking them up, kissing them maybe, right? Depending on who it is. Uh, but this makes me even think of like my own son, Liam. Once he had chocolate for the first time, like this, like a little M&M, he was, he, he was like, I'm gonna go back to dad. I'm gonna ask for more. And he was so excited. He was so, he wasn't like, dad, dad. No, he, he was, he, I knew he was coming. I could tell he was excited. He was expecting me to answer, his, to answer his request. And I didn't always say yes, but, uh, you know, I wanted him to not gain too much weight, but I did answer his request. And so my thing here is that we're told to let a request be made known to God. It's simple. Let your request be made known to God. Trust that he is a better, better father than me. He's a better father than any earthly father. He's going to answer to his good and perfect will. But my question to you is, do you truly believe that God will provide for you? And, and maybe it's not a million dollars. It's not about the million dollars or the chocolate that you're at. But what is it? What is it? This assumes, one, that you ask God the Father, and then two, that you trust that he will provide what you need, church. And I want us to hear this. He's, uh, God is not withholding from you when the answer to your prayer is not what you expected it to be. Like you ask for a million dollars, he may say no. You know, God is actually, in fact, answering your prayer. He, he is answering your prayer and providing what it is that you need. So you, we need to trust that his answer is good and perfect. And so it should, it should be a red flag. It should concern us a bit if, that, if we often approach God in prayer. We're letting our requests be made known to him. Rejoicing, we're thanking him. And then we get angry on the back end or a week later or a day later or whatever it may be because he didn't give it to us on our terms. He didn't give it to us on our conditions that we have for ourselves or for him rather. God doesn't answer to us. We answer to God, right? He invites us into a relationship with him to ask him to go to him and then receive, and we receive as God, we receive things as God sees fit, not the other way around. God is the one who knows what's good for us. We often struggle to see even that. And so he's not, when he's not answering the way that you want him to and you're getting angry, it should concern us. We should be aware of that. The point is this. The instruction simply is given in light of the anxiety that we're feeling is pray. Pray. And when you pray and when you ask God, we should do so in such a way that is confident that he will answer perfectly and therefore create thanksgiving during that time of prayer. Thanking him in, in advance because he will not give you what you think that you need but what God knows that you need. And so it's a, it, it's a good thing that we should consider to leave our time of prayer literally thinking about, looking for, in hopeful expectation that God, is, God heard me. I'm excited. What's he going to do? How is he going to answer? Right? Leave your time of prayer excited to watch God move. And so why pray, though? Paul says in verse 7, he says, in the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds 
in Christ Jesus. So we know Paul is, he's felt and he's experienced personally, firsthand the peace of God that surpasses his understanding and then even our understanding as we see it and then it guarded his heart and mind. Particularly, uh, you can go look at Acts, in Acts 16. Paul and Silas are literally, they're stripped, they're beat with rods and they're shoved into jail. And the response in Acts 16, 25 it says that Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. They got stripped, they got beat, they got thrown in jail, and then they decided to pray and sing hymns to God. Like if that's not extraordinary and the kind of peace that surpasses understanding, I don't, I don't know what is. This is that kind of peace that comes from God himself and surpasses everyone's understanding. This is the kind of peace that comes from God and it guards their hearts and minds. And we can tell. We see it. It's, it's obvious. Why? They start singing to God after they got beat and thrown into jail. And so I, I, I want to be cautious, though. I, I want us to see that the, the, the heroes in the story, the hero here, even in that text, and the experiences that we may have personally, it's not them, it's not us. The hero is not Paul, it's not Silas, it's God. It's God. And clearly, it is God that their rejoicing depends on. It has to be. And it's the cause for their singing. God is the one who provided the peace, God is the one who guarded Paul and Silas's hearts and minds. And so almost uh, three years ago now, my, my son Liam was born. And on the day of Liam's uh, birth, uh, my wife actually had what's called a placenta abruption. Basically what this means is that the placenta either partly or completely separates from the, the inner wall of the uterus before the delivery is happening or happened. Um, and then it causes massive internal bleeding, as you can imagine, putting the baby at risk for suffocating. Um, on their own blood. The, 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 the chances of this happening was a 1% chance, but it happened. That's exactly what happened. And then after, after they got Liam out, after several adrenaline shots, lots of CPR, life-saving procedures, they were, they were able to uh, stabilize Liam. You guys have probably, may have seen him running around. He's, he's fine. Liam spent, though, a, a month roughly in the NICU. And so during that experience, were Ashley and I worried? Yes, we were very worried. Were we concerned? Yes. Were we hurting? Definitely. Were we sad? Absolutely. But we were hopeful and we had peace. We really did. We, we looked forward. We were anticipating taking our son home. And we knew and were comforted at the same time knowing that either Liam is going to come home with us or he's going to go home to God the Father, which is really not so bad, right? And so every single day, every night, we were praying and just asking earnestly, confidently. We trusted that God heard us and he was answering. We trusted that God had Liam and he would take care of him. But I ask Ashley, the, the, the peace that God provided surpassed our understanding. And it, it, that, was God, that was God giving us that peace, and to some people, um, to have such peace and, and, and circumstances like that, 
and hope in circumstances like that, they're, they're, uh, that's unnatural, which is not actually entirely untrue. It's supernatural. It's from God. And we felt it. We experienced God literally guarding our hearts and minds. We were not consumed with fear and anxiety. We're consumed with peace. God did it. He did what he said here in our text. God is the hero. God sustained us. God provided for us. He gave us peace. And what he did and what he can do for us today, tomorrow, and the next day, as we experience anxiety, God can exchange, and he does, just as he did for us. God exchanged the anxiety and the fear and the stress that were knocking at our door that could have easily consumed us, and he gave us peace. And so while rejoicing in all circumstances and praying in all circumstances, I know it may feel like you're even forcing it, right? Like you're aware of the circumstance. I'm gonna, like, this feels forced. This feels forced. Please see this, church. You are obeying what God commands. You're obeying what God the Father commands and has promised already. And then promises to deliver peace and guard your hearts and minds. And so he has your very best in mind, church, as you feel that you may be forcing it. He has your best in mind. He's aware of that circumstance. Has that, I want to ask though, has that ever happened to you? A situation where you, maybe you find yourself there today where you're going, I can't help but be consumed with anxiety, with stress, with fear. Here's our hope. Despite the way, or here's the reality is that despite the ways in which we see God provide and give such peace, yes, we still fall short. We still disbelieve. We still doubt. Yes, but church, Jesus did not fall short in these ways. Jesus is our hope. Jesus is actually called, we see in, a, in Isaiah 9, 6, it's, he's the Prince of Peace. And it's because we know that Jesus perfectly fulfilled what we're talking about, what we see here, this command on our behalf that we can trust and know that God is the only one worthy of our trust, worthy of our prayers, worthy of our thanksgiving. And so we, were, we make our requests known to God the Father who is worthy of all of these things. And so the question, how does Paul instruct us to respond in light of our anxiety and why? How? Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything pray and, and ask God what you need. Thank him as you pray. Why? And the, because the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. And so the final question we're gonna answer today as we look at our text is what does Paul tell us to think about? And then how does thinking about these things, how does that help us to make war on our anxiety? What does Paul tell us to think about? And then how does that help us to make war on our anxiety? So verse eight, right? Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. So real clear here, we can combat and make 
war on the anxiety that's present or coming perhaps, the fear and the stress by prayer and supplication and thanksgiving. And then what we see here by taking what's happening is we're taking our thoughts captive. We do this by thinking about the things that are, as it says, true, thinking about the things that are honorable, thinking about things that are just, pure, lovely, commendable, where there is any excellence in anything worthy of praise. So consider, again, Paul and Silas, they're in jail. I mean, I'll say this much. I think if I, think if I was in jail, my, my first reaction is not, let me sing songs and hymns right now. Like, seriously, I'm just being honest. I'd be freaking out. I'd be worried and anxious. I'd be, I wouldn't leave my bed. I'd, do y'all know what happens in jail? <laughs> like, being in jail is not pleasant at all. It's, it's punishment and consequences for breaking the law. I'd be thinking about, when am I going to get stabbed? Like, what gang am I going to have to join to make it out of here? Paul is, though, instructing us to think about such things instead of those, to think about things here in our text because he's aware of those kind of thoughts. He's aware of how we often do think, of where our minds often do go and take us. We spend far more time thinking about things that are the opposite, that are not true, that are not honorable, just, pure, lovely, commendable, excellent. We think about things that are not worthy of praise. That's where our, that's where our hearts and our minds go. And we also conclude things, right, that are simply illogical and irrational. Like me, we determine that rent's going up, time to move back in with mom because 10 bucks, can't do it. Nope. We cough a little too much, especially now, and conclude we have a terminal illness, that WebMD. It told me. That's it, final. All right? Does anybody, I think this way, anybody else? Like, can we just be honest about this? Like, you and I, we're not great at allowing, we are great, excuse me, we are great at allowing fear and anxiety to dictate not just what we feel, how we're feeling, but then what we think and what we believe. Our feelings all too often, they don't just influence what we think, but convince us of things that are simply not true, right? Like, if I was a superhero, if you know Superman, this is my kryptonite. In my fear and anxiety, I conclude the absolute worst case scenario first before I do anything else, before I pray, before I ask God for help, before I ask him to fill me with hope, to fill me with faith, I conclude the worst things imaginable. And I do it in the small things too. I'm, I'm, I've trained myself in this way all too often. So that then when the big things hit, I do the same thing. And then I'll, and I'll my friends who are watching and, and, and talking to me about it, I, t- I tell them what's going on. Like what I think is going to, here's what's going to happen. I'm, I'm worried about this. And they look at me and I'm like, I'm crazy. They should. I'm like, how did you get there? Like this makes no, it's not remotely true. Nope, that's, how did you end up there? And so, I want us to see we have a choice. We, we can allow fear and anxiety and stress to keep us from experiencing what God promises, the peace of God, or we can see those moments, small and big, as opportunities to run to Jesus in prayer and allow him to dictate our thoughts, what we are thinking about, 
We can allow him to determine the next steps. And we allow Jesus to dictate what we believe. And so the question is, do the conclusions that you draw and the the decisions you make align with what we see here in our text, with what Paul says? Do the conclusions that you draw and decisions that you regularly make align with what Paul says in our text? And so the, the point is this, is that God is very aware of how you and I are wired. He is. And so we're, we're prone to think things that are not true. We're prone to believe lies. We're prone to convince ourselves of things that are simply not true, which is the reason why we see this instruction, we see this encouragement for what it is that we should be thinking about. And so what does Paul tell us to think about? How does that help us make war on our anxiety? He says, think about these things. Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure and lovely and commendable, if there's any excellence, anything worthy of praise, think about that. Let your mind go there. This is the instruction, again, in the command for our good. It is. And so we make war on our anxiety now and later as well by obeying what God commands We obey what God commands. That is how we make war on our anxiety. And so practically, consider what is is fueling our anxiety? What is it that you are thinking about? And filter it through what we see see here in the text. What does Paul say? Filter it through that. We should filter what we are dwelling on and thinking about through God's word. We need, to, we need God to transform literally how it is we think and what we are concluding. And so consider, what, what are you dwelling on continually and ask yourself, is it true? Is what you are thinking about regularly concluding, is it true? Is it honorable? Is it just? Is it these things? Lovely, commendable. Is there, is there excellence? Is, it, is there anything worthy of praise here? And so we sh- this is... We should be taking our thoughts captive in this way and we weigh them and we measure them and we test them with what we, what we think. We take those things captive and we test them in, with God's word. Then we draw conclusions. What does God say about it? And so I want us to see the, there is a command here to deal with what it is we are thinking about. What are we thinking about? Processing that with Jesus. And so often, if we're being honest, what we are, are, are prone to do and, and do it really well is we, ignore, we try to ignore it, try to ignore what we're thinking about, what's on our minds regularly, what's causing the, our anxiety. We draw quick, irrational conclusions, right, of, out of that anxiety that, that, frighten, that, that then bring up fear, which that fear is then wrong, it's not true. And then instead of testing what we're concluding and thinking with God's word and asking ourselves, is it true? Is it these things? We'll then try to suppress the conclusions that we've drawn that aren't even true. Our own, we'll try to suppress those thoughts, try to suppress that anxiety that we're feeling. And I want us to hear that regular rhythms of unprocessed anxiety, they they don't produce peace, guys. They don't. It produces more anxiety. Like we, we have to stop ignoring what causes stress and fear and anxiety and 
still go, ah, I, 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 I'm gonna grow. I'm gonna grow from this. I'm gonna, things are gonna be different the next time. They won't. We have, to, we have to process what's happening with Jesus. And so what we think about and conclude in our minds carries a great deal, massive amount of weight. It affects, yes, what we feel and experience daily, but what we're believing every day. And so our thoughts, they have to be processed and filtered with Jesus. Distracting ourselves to run from that thing that's causing anxiety doesn't produce peace either. And these are, it's not an exhaustive list, just a couple ways in which we may be prone to to, to cope, to manage, to, to deal with what's going on. Well, what, we see, what do we see Jesus do? Jesus himself, what he does, what Paul does, they don't just acknowledge what they're feeling. We should do that. They're, they acknowledge what they feel, right? What's going on presently, but they process them with God the Father. Isaiah, again, 9, 6, he tells us that Jesus is our wonderful counselor. That's not just fun words. Jesus wants us to run to him with how we're feeling, what we're thinking, and what's going on. And then counsel us through his word. And so Paul is literally telling us to think about these things. Pray and process these things with Jesus, who is the wonderful counselor. Take what you're thinking about before the Lord. Test what you're thinking about with God's word and consider what you are thinking about if it's, if, if it's any of these things here in our text. Is that where your mind is going? Anxiety does not decrease, guys, if we shut our minds off and shove our feelings down. We will. It's, 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 it's promise. We'll experience peace that surpasses our understanding when we bring all of our thoughts to our wonderful counselor and prince of peace. And I want to say regularly. I don't want us to think if I do it once, it's, where's my peace? Regular rhythms of running to Jesus every day. Every day. Same thing every day. Every day. So we must be people that have regular rhythms of processing what we think, what we feel with God. That's the way we make war on the anxiety by obeying what God commands. And so that means that we do this, that that we make war on the things that are lies and what's happening is the same thing that we see with Paul, the same thing that that we experience personally in my family and I is that we exchange those things that we're feeling for what is true. Like God, God wants to give us peace and we exchange with him the fear, the anxiety that we have and he's, he's ready, he's prepared to give it if we would ask. And so the result we will experience is peace that is going to surpass our understanding. Refuse to let yourself think about things that are simply not true. And so we're going we're gonna to enter a time of response right now. And I, what I want you to think about is what, it, what is it that you're regularly dwelling on? Are they what Paul instructs. And as we respond, we're going to do so here in a moment, yes, through the taking of communion, but I want us to see what's true, church, is and, and what should give you and I great hope and a great reason to rejoice, as it says, is that Jesus came and lived a perfect and blameless life. He died, and through the resurrection, he gave us his spirit. 
And so if you know, love, and trust Jesus, right, and if you do, this means that the power and the access that we have, the fact that it's even available to do that, to make our request known to God the Father, to pray, to thank God, to rejoice, is only possible because Jesus is alive. Because Jesus, the sinless God-man, did what we could not do. And so I want you to consider, what are you thinking about? And if it fills you with anxiety and does not cause us to rejoice, doesn't call you, cause you to rejoice, we should consider, what is it that we're dwelling on? Maybe I need to repent here and ask God to show me the truth then, to transform my mind, to transform our hearts and minds, and to receive the peace that he's prepared to offer. And if, if you're not sure, ask yourself, does it lead me to worship Jesus? And so what is it you're thinking about? May we let our requests be made known to God. May we rejoice for we know the Lord is at hand. Let me pray. Father in heaven, thank you for your word. God, thank you for your son Jesus that, God, as we aim, as we desire to grow in thankfulness, as we desire to grow, God, in, in rejoicing, and God, we confess that we fall short often. God, we, we do desire to see what is true, what is commendable, commendable what is worthy of praise, Father, we want to be consumed with peace in our, in our hearts now more than ever are full of anxiety and we desire, Father, that you would help us to process through that but to have, um, God, peace and, and to be guarded, our hearts and minds to be guarded. And so we ask now, Father, you would help us sort through all of those things that are going on. Holy Spirit, would you move in our hearts in such a way today and this week that it would cause great rejoicing. We thank you for your son, Jesus, and the hope that we have. May we run to him daily, regularly, Father. We thank you, love you, and pray all this. In Jesus' name, amen.